Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined, as always, by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. How are you, sir? I am doing well, Steve. We are going to be heading out to join two-time FLW champion Andre Moore to discuss none other than changing weather conditions. And then a little later, we'll be uh, catching up with John McCurdy sharing his thoughts on flipping and pitching during rising water conditions. Well, that sounds great. Let's get on with it. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. (laughs) Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, me and Aaron, I hope you've been having a better time of it than I have. All I have done this week is stare out the window, watch it rain, and then hop out there and mow the lawn the two times that the sun popped out for a couple of hours. Steve, you sound like you need a little uh, zippity doo dah, you know, a little uh, whistling while you work here. You sound a little grumpy today, man. <laughs> Oh, maybe I am a little grumpy. I just get that way. Yeah. Well, I know what you mean. I mean, it's done nothing but rain in the last week. And, of course, I'm not as concerned with that because I got to spend all weekend. Uh, I'm probably a little bit organization freak. I, you, you would probably agree with that. But I, I got to spend the weekend trying to organize, uh, you know, getting everything in the new boats and uh, tackle. And, of course, I came up with a bright idea that I'm going to completely rearrange how I'm utilizing my tackle. So that's a work in progress. Actually, that doesn't make mowing a lot sound so bad. <laughs> I know I get in trouble with you when I fish out of your boat because uh, I get the wrong stuff in the wrong boxes. Now nah, you're an organized guy. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just sometimes it can be my detriment, though. But uh, you're such a joy to be with when you're like this, and I just look forward to our next uh, 40 minutes or so that we get to uh, kind of hash this out, Steve. Now, see, you're going to make everybody think I'm just a grumpy old man, and I'm just playing with you guys. Now, I didn't say you were old. I just said you were grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, meanwhile, back at the podcast. No, I just need to float a little bit, catch a few small mouths. The rivers are so flooded, it's going to be two weeks before I can get on them. But, uh, hell, by the way, I was down looking at the rivers the other day because we're getting a tremendous amount of rain. It really is impressive to watch these Ozark streams flow. But uh, yeah, I was watching all this debris pile up under that bridge, and it just made me think. Well, first of all, it made me think I want to be fishing there when the water goes down. But uh, maybe remember back to the Chattahoochee. Oh, yeah, the Chattahoochee. That was quite the experience, you know, and seeing those bridges pilings uh all that debris piled up against there and you know the different uh targets that we were able to hit but i think when we get into andre's interview a little bit later you know he shed some light on that but it presents a lot of opportunity really if you think about it and especially when you're getting into a river system which is a changing dynamic anyway that is so true and uh of course you know i was always the kind of guy i was looking for a lily pad or stump you know i mean that's just how i grew up fishing and that kind of i was a little slow to come around to wanting to fish these man 
man-made structures. The bridges themselves, especially when you're in a high current area, fishing a river like the Chattahoochee or, or, you know, upstream in a lake where it's acting like a river, the debris piles that gather up in the front of those things, it's just fantastic ambush points for fish. Well, it is. And, you know, one of the things that, that really gets me fired up that I see is when I, you know, hit an area and maybe perhaps it's been overnight since the day before that I was there or even just the first time, you know, hitting that uh, body of water is when you see those, you know, you know those like sawdust piles that you see that collect kind of on the top where you, you know, it's all floating oh, yeah. material that kind of piles up against the logs and that. A lot of times that will be the first water that can start to either clear or uh, it's also the first water that um, really stains up, you know, is in those little pockets where you see all that stuff collect. And you can take a, you know, a Texas rig or a jig or something like that and punch through that matted sawdust and some of those logs and sticks. And man, when you punch through that and you feel that tug on the end of the line, you know that you're in the right spot. Well, that's so true. And of course, when you're looking at physical structure like we're talking about, brush piles or bridge pilings or rocks or anything for that matter, I mean, you're really looking at two factors. You're looking at an ambush point, a place where a fish is lying in wait to catch forage. And then in our lakes and rivers that have a significant amount of current, the fish are using them as a current break also to stay out of the current hunting for, you know, things flowing down. So bridge pilings and the debris piles that form on bridge pilings can serve both of these purposes. And sometimes just the way they pile up, some are just better than the others. So uh, it can do you some good just to kind of, like if you're on a river, bounce from bridge to bridge and check it out. Well, Steve, you just reminded me of a story that uh, kind of a happenstance that I went after when I was down on the Red River. Uh, I don't know, it's probably been about three years ago, but the Red River, I went up the Loggy Bayou, which is a river that that heads into the Red River. And then off of the Loggy Bayou is another small stream called the Red Chute. And I went all the way, I mean, miles up this thing. Um, and you can imagine, you know, you've got a, a basically a lane about the width of your boat that you're running in between stumps and everything else. But there was two bridges up there. And essentially it was it was a flood condition, you know, and it had washed these log jams in up against the bridge pilings like you speak of. And the fish were absolutely stacked around those bridge pilings in that debris. And it wasn't a lot of water, but because of the bridge being there and the way that the current hit it, it washed out kind of this deeper spot. And they held right up underneath all of that debris that you speak of. And it was lights out. I picked up, I think it was a, a brush hog, just a creature bait, and uh, went to work. It was, uh, I still remember the color. It was June bug red, and uh, the water was a little bit stained, and man, you talking about fun. Loggy Creek and Red Shoot. Now, that sounds like some places to catch some fish, but you know what you say about the water washing out under the brush piles, it's so true, and we get that in the streams here that I fish a lot. We get occasionally a tree will erode and fall down into the water, and underneath the root water, it'll just form this huge hole and it's just it's incredible how many fish those will hold you know it doesn't get any better than this and i think you know as always we've always had plenty to talk about regardless of what the weather's doing because there is always a bass to catch and speaking of which you know me i'm kind of always uh, experimenting i find something that works and then the first thing i want to do is get out and disprove it but uh i've got a new deal steve i'm if the conditions present itself you might see me uh rig up a new technique that i've got in mind for this year and like uh, to get that on the tv show 
Okay, okay. Let's let's hear it. I, I, the way you're saying this is this is. I mean, is this thing going to be like pink or something? Now this is more. Uh, it's basically it's kind of combining two things. It's it's taking a football jig and uh, you know that allows you to be able to to drag through rocks and kind of we're getting close to that Carolina rigging time. Mm-hmm. Um, and a football jig is very effective, but as we know, you know when you pop it, it's it's mainly going to stay in contact with the bottom, except for the time that that you hop it off the bottom. Well, I've got an, a thought and an idea that a guy told me about is taking a swivel and sliding a piece of surgical tape over the eye of the swivel and then sliding this swivel down on the hook of the football jig, okay? So that's one end of the swivel. Then you tie a leader a uh, couple feet long and uh, put like a finesse worm or a lizard or a, you know, a creature bait or something like that uh, onto that with a hook, of course, attached to that. And essentially, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. You're fishing a Carolina rig, but instead of using a weight or a sinker, uh, you've got that football jig there. And can you imagine what it would be like to hook up two bass at the same time when you get into a school of them? That's pretty ambitious. I sound like we're going to have some pretty interesting casting demonstrations on the show this year. Well, uh, you just don't want to be on the receiving end on my back cast, you know. On the front side, I'm pretty good, but it's it's just when I go to rare back. You're basically talking a Carolina rig with a football jig is the weight, and I mean that's a great idea, and it's you know it's something to think. There's other applications for that. I know that you've used like uh, an ice jig or a or a grub on the bottom of a drop shot for the weight. And in fly fishing, we'll use a, a dry fly on top and then put a, a dropper, what we call a dropper, below it. So man, it only makes sense to have more hooks in the water. Yeah, and you, you know what? Uh, I think it, it does two things. It may not work. It may, you know, I may embarrass myself for trying it, but it's one of those things you don't know until you try. And just the fact of, of having that opportunity and, and being able to take that information and that feedback. If you do catch one on the jig, well, you know, you can, you know, set the, the rest of the right. apparatus down and just go to using a football jig but if you start catching them on the carolina rig that's giving you feedback and best case scenario if you catch one on each then you know you've, you've got a little something unique well that that that's so true I mean, it is a way to fish a couple of different depths to you know search for fish or to you know sometimes you have fish doing different things so, i know that's a great idea and you know the good thing about you uh making some bad casts this year on the show is we'll have it on tape and have it on the bloopers <laughs> oh yeah you know I, I do i do what i can to contribute to that and be a team player for you guys but yeah, uh, I, the bloopers i tell you you you're good at that part of the game gee thanks steve <laughs> I, you know i i appreciate the encouragement but uh no, those are funny people need to get on the website and look at that and get bassedge.com and take a look at that i got a huge kick out of that oh yeah it's always always something going on around the studio so but anyway we do have an interview to get to Yes, yes, I'm anxious to hear with Andre. He's, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, uh, he's kind of like me. He fishes for a lot of different stuff. So uh, let's take a quick break and hear what Andre Moore has to say. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. 
Anglers share a common thread, each of us really going to great lengths to pursue our passion of bass fishing. And our next guest has not only followed his dream as a professional angler, but has also moved across the country to be closer to the tournaments that he fishes. This is none other than two-time FLW champion on Beaver Lake and current BASS Opens competitor, Andre Moore. Andre, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. You know, excited to uh, have the opportunity to be able to share with you and want to kind of dive off here at the beginning into just, you know, you, you've been a pro now for, I think, uh, 16, 17 years, something like that, if my math serves me right. But, uh, you know, you originally started out west and then kind of moved to the east coast. What, because uh, I'm, I'm sure it was hard to leave, you know, the delta of which you uh, are so fond of out there and, and kind of move out east. But uh, how's that been going and what kind of motivated you into that move? Well, when I was doing the SLWs, you know, it wasn't so bad traveling back and forth. You know, the biggest reason I made the move is because of my bait company. And uh, I was getting all my production done in Alabama, and I just wanted to be closer to that and overseeing, you know, that part of my life. Uh, I really wish I didn't have to leave the West Coast and California, you know, the Delta and all that stuff. It just things work out that way. Sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure looking back, there's there's been some other things that has, uh, I guess, came out as a result of that. Not to say that it, they wouldn't have had you uh, still been located out on the west side but uh you know you and uh kim bain of course that is uh you're married to an, a professional angler that's that's got to be an interesting uh dinner table discussion yeah yeah i mean you know it's our lifestyle is a lot different than most people because we're always going from one you know body of water to the next um you know, she uh, just finished up in Louisiana and flew down here to Florida, where I'm at right now. We just wrapped up a kingfish tournament down here, so uh, you know, we've got quite a interesting lifestyle. And I just dropped her off at the airport, so she can go and fly and do a photo shoot for Field and Stream tomorrow. And it's been pretty crazy. <laughs> well, speaking of of you know the kingfishing, uh, saltwater is something that I, I know you for sure, and, and it sounds like Kim is as well. Does that help or hinder or really no effect when it comes to bass fishing? Do the two uh, sports, you know, commingle. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were doing the redfish together um, for a couple of years, and it was a, you know, it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. I get to fish with Kim, which is the best thing. You know, it probably takes a little bit of my focus away from the bass side, but I have so much fun doing it. You know, it, it's just kind of a, almost a mental thing for me because you know, when you fish so many tournaments for bass fishing and you do it all the time, it really becomes more of a job than you know, a relaxing, fun thing to do. And at least when I can spread out a little saltwater fishing into it, it, it kind of keeps me on an even keel and uh i still get to have some fun out on the boat that's got to be important to kind of have that uh that mental escape if you will because there's some things i think that you know always have to remain sacred and and certainly you were drawn to the sport because of the challenge and you know that it it has uh and presents to you as an angler and i think probably it sounds uh that maybe kind of the salt water is is kind of taking up some of that slack to where you know the stress and, and just the travel with you know pursuing the bass maybe you don't get that reprieve quite as much yeah exactly um when we come down here king fishing you know i can fish with three or four of my buddies and we just have a great time i mean it's still really competitive on the boat and don't get me wrong you know there's still you know the same thing as far as bass fishing goes about doing your homework i mean it's a lot different you know doing the the king fish though because you're looking more at sea surface temperature charts and current lines and and different things i mean it's you know different in that aspect but it's almost the same in bass fishing because, you know, you still got to watch your variables and, you know, all the different things that go into it, you know, whether, you know, you're fishing on a river and you got to check to see if they're going to be releasing water somewhere or it's still part of fishing. You got to, you know, you got to work at it to be successful. Well, 
Well, that's what I was about ready to say. It seems that, you know, even though the, the species may be different, the variables that you have to take into consideration, probably there's a lot of similarities between the two. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we've been really successful doing the kingfish, even though we've been doing it about a year now, just because of the discipline we have with our bass fishing as far as getting our tackle perfect the night before. You know, we use braided line. A lot of the guys don't use braided line. We uh, splice in with like 25 yards of fluorocarbon leader. We take painstaking measures to make sure everything is perfect. And as far as, you know, taking, you know, any of the bad things that can happen in a day of fishing, you know, we try and eliminate that by using high quality gear and everything else. And it's the same, you know, with any kind of tournament you're fishing. You got to be on your top game if you want to succeed. Well, it sounds to me like you've taken, you know, the things that you've learned as a bass angler and that success, what has made you be successful and simply just, you know, apply that to the sport of saltwater fishing, whether it be redfish or kingfish or what have you, you know, and, and which kind of leads me to my next point, you know, as anglers, versatility is so overused, but yet it's so important. We have to be able to think on our feet and whether that be, you know, decisions, presentation, uh, lures, what have you, you know, you have really taken that to a whole new level by turning your skill as a lure designer into a business and of course you know we're, t- we're talking obviously about uh, about the bait company can you just touch briefly on that before uh, we kind of dive off into our topic for today you know the bait company basically started because i mean even when i was in california i was making my own lures i mean for myself and you know some of my buddies and stuff like that but you know it just got to the point where i walk in a tackle store and there'd be absolutely nothing in there i wanted to purchase but i knew i needed something different you know so with the ideas i had you know i started my company and and, um, you know, I'm constantly working on new stuff just to try and adapt to, you know, the, the way the fishing is. I mean, every year it seems to be different. The fish seem to key in on something different. They get burned out on seeing the same old stuff. And you really got to be, you know, on the forefront and, and kind of thinking about, you know, what the fish are thinking about. And, uh, you know, kind of like what conditions, you know, you're faced with all the time. Because, I mean, this year has been like a really strange year for weather. The weather is just crazy. You know, everybody talks talks about global warming and all this other stuff. I mean, I personally think that the entire calendar year should be pushed back because I think now that the weather we're getting in March should be February weather. You know, it, it just seems like we're a month behind everywhere. And and the weather is just really violent. You know, it's a lot more extreme uh, the last couple of years than it's been. You know, therefore, you know, a lot of the lakes are dirtier than normal or higher water or even lower water because a lot of places are in drought. And, uh, you know, you got to kind of think about your fishing that way too. I mean, you know, the same stuff just doesn't work all the time. Well, and, and that's a great point because, you know, here over the last uh, year and a half, two years at, at Bass Edge, we've, we've kind of joked when we've traveled around the country uh, filming for the television show, you know, one year it's the year of the drought and the next year it's the year of the flood. One year we can't get boats in because there's no water to put them in and the next year the water's too high where we can't get over the bridges. And I would like your input on that because, you know, as, when we hit the water, whether it be, you know, just uh, to go out and have a recreational trip or essentially a, a tournament, you know, all of us do our research and of course we watch the uh, the weather forecast but as we have seen too many times uh, that ultimately is not written in stone and if we think we're going to get there and it's going to be bluebird skies you know calm weather conditions especially this time of year you know we have that tendency to to see those uh, those violent conditions pop up and things change what impact does that have on your decisions you know on the water and how do you adjust 
I've been caught in a lot of bad stuff on the water, I mean, through the years. I mean, I had a tornado, almost ripped my head off over at Old Hickory one year and came across a creek I was fishing in. And, you know, I, I've pretty much seen it all. I mean, I've seen big, nasty squalls out on the ocean and, you know, all kinds of just crazy stuff, I mean, with the weather. But you really just have to, I mean, everybody says, well, you know, adjust with the conditions, but you have to period. I mean, like, you know, these guys that fished Eufaula a few weeks ago, I mean, golly, the rain they had and the lake coming up and getting so muddy. Now, I really like to see that personally because a new guy wins when that happens. You know, a new guy or an old guy, you know, like Guido Hibden won that tournament at Eufaula. You know, that's a guy with a ton of experience. You know, he made the adjustment and he knew what to do and he won the tournament. You know, it's, I'm almost afraid to say, you know, a lot of this bass fishing these days is almost a pay-to-play situation or who you know at what lake and uh you know if the conditions are the same it's almost it seems like the guy that got the better local health wins and i really like to see it when conditions are just so far out of whack that the person that you know didn't really have a clue going into it and just went fishing and figured it out right then wins the tournament i mean that's what i really like to see you know i i think you know that part of the aspect when you know when the lake conditions are completely crazy and it's not some local honey hole or something that everybody knows about where the tournament gets won but you know also you know i like to see the guys be safe too i don't like seeing us get sent out in lightning and you know really bad conditions that people can get hurt in well certainly you know safety is first and foremost and i think for the most part uh you know most of the the tournament officials kind of err on that side as well but you know there are times to when uh perhaps it's it's not a function or it happens after the fact and and let's kind of break that down let's get specific because when you say adjusting to the conditions you know it's kind of that cliche of well let the fish tell you what they want so giving you specific examples you know let's say that the even the night before maybe we've had a lightning storm and thunder you know come in with a lot of rain uh and and earlier uh, in the week Perhaps, you know, you've been fishing under uh, sunny and calm conditions, but all of a sudden now we have this, you know, this lightning and this thunder and the wind and cloud cover. What specifically can you offer as advice to us to go out and, you know, make that adjustment? Okay, if you say you're going out and you're going to fish, you know, this terrible rainy conditions, I mean, I personally, you know, would like to get up on the bank and throw something fast and cover a lot of water and see, you know, maybe if a group of fish is pulled up on, you know, a certain bank or a point or whatever and try and locate them that way. Everybody water is different, though. I mean, you know, I've seen conditions out in California where the lake's coming up a foot a day, but the fish don't move with the water. You know, they'll stay sitting exactly where they were. And, you know, you just keep catching them deeper and deeper every day in the same place. You know, on these rivers, you know, the fish will they'll move so fast, it's, it's not even funny. And, you know, like, you know, Tommy Biffle's win a few weeks ago, the place he caught them in the last couple of days of the tournament, it was almost dry in practice. So, those fish moved over half a mile to get to that spot. So the main um, thing is, it kind of sounds like what you're saying is, it's almost twofold. One is you you better be sure to check, you know, the area, the depths, the spots, um, let's say the old water level, if you will, because sometimes those fish will not adjust as quickly as what, you know, the water level does. Then to follow through and make sure then that you're looking at the new areas to make sure those fish haven't evacuated. Exactly. I mean, we had a tournament at Kentucky Lake a few years ago where it was pre-spawn or even there was a few fish spawning and the lake came up like 12 foot and flooded all the banks. It was way back in these trees and um, very few fish actually moved back into the woods. I mean, it was it was very, very few. And I actually caught 
caught my fish back outside of the trees on the old buckbrush line because for some reason those fish at Kentucky Lake know that the water isn't supposed to be up higher than there and are not going to move up in there and set up bed. And they never went back there. I mean, it, it was the strangest thing. I was out trying to fish buckbrush that was 15 foot deep. That kind of made it uh, difficult to see beds, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I mean, that too. Kentucky Lake isn't like a real great sight fishing lake to begin with, but, uh, you know, myself included, I expected I'd have to go crashing through trees to catch them, you know, but it it just never happened that way. And um, that's one of the cool things about bass fishing is, you know, no matter how long you do it, you're always learning something new and, you know, you just got to kind of roll with it. And good as you think you are, about half the times you're going to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've I've been there, done that. You know, you you can you know go well. I know these fish should be there, but they might be, they might not. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, fish they've got tails and they can do whatever that you know whatever they want. They can decide to go back there if they want to, but you know they don't have to. You know, if they don't feel like they need to. Well, I think that's a good point. In our last uh, closing minute here, Andre, I wanted to get your opinion because there is, when that weather condition does change, it can be as much about psychological, the warfare that's going on in our own minds, as what it is to the actual fish, you know, moving or making an adjustment like the weather. You know, what advice could you offer, you know, you're you're sitting there, you're getting ready to launch and and you know darn well the weather has changed. It's it's pretty evident by the sky condition or the wind or or things like we've already talked about. Do you go back and and do you check those those areas first or do you just kind of abandon that and and go looking for new stuff? If you could share that in our last closing minute here. Well, I'll always start in the area there were fish because they've got to leave one place to go to another place. And if they were already there, they've got to be in between or already where you think they're going. My advice definitely is invest in really good quality rain gear where you don't get wet. I mean, I'm a fair weather fisherman. I hate going out and nasty stuff. I've just been doing it for so long. It just drives me crazy when I have to go out there and it's 40 degrees and and raining like we did at the Chesapeake a few weeks ago. And uh, I mean, you got to start with somewhere to locate them. If you knew they were already in one place, you know, you might as well fish your way to where you think they were going and try and run into them. I think that's, you know, that makes sense because you can start on your strength at least and, you know, try and get some confidence going uh try that for a little while don't die by it obviously you know if, if you're not getting a response like you were in days past that chances are that means that those fish have have changed whether it be in, in what they want or in locations altogether exactly and you know if fish were in one creek and they were halfway back in there they're not going to leave that creek and go 10 20 miles up the river somewhere else you know they're going to be around there somewhere sure well andre unfortunately we are out of time but i, I just want to thank you so much uh, for taking time out to to be here on the edge we wish you uh continued success both on the bass and the freshwater and also on the saltwater and uh, look forward to talking with you again in the very near future. All right, well, thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me on. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. 
Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Scott Suggs. I'm Dave Wolak. This is Chad Morgan-Taylor. Hi, I'm Chris Ball. This is Dion Hibden, and you're listening to The Edge. Man, that was great to hear from Andre. I remember I was in the press room uh, in Pittsburgh back at the Bassmaster Classic when he had just proposed to her on stage, and, of course, they came back into the press room, and we interviewed him, and, uh, and it was just so neat to... To see them and together just right after that moment, uh, that's a neat deal. Yeah, I brought up, you know, to Andre during the interview, I said, I'm sure that makes for some interesting uh, table conversations being married to Kim Bain. And, of course, you know, they're fishing uh, a lot of the kingfish. Uh, they're, they're targeting some mm-hmm. saltwater species now that we talked about. Right. It's very interesting. But I thought his comments on changing weather, just given, you know, what has been going on with all of the weather patterns, whether it be rising water and rain and lightning. And, you know, you think when you hit the boat ramp, you think it's going to be one way and naturally uh, the weatherman gives you something else and, and something that can erode your confidence quickly. That's just so true. And, you know, I think just to try to understand the weather patterns, listen to guys like Andre and, and try to start getting a grasp of the kinds of things that you should change and how you should adapt what you're doing when you get a weather change, like you're saying, because I know for me, when I was younger, just a change in weather was just the biggest confidence killer. You know, I'd be out the day before and catch them, and you go out and it'd all be different, and I would just, it's frustrating. Well, it is frustrating, and once that frustration sets in, you know, it's a matter of time, if you don't curtail that, that it's going to start impacting the results uh, when it comes to your fishing. And I thought his story that he shared concerning down at Kentucky Lake, you know, when the water was coming up fairly rapidly, he stated, you know, that the fish knew that the water doesn't normally get that high. Of course, now we were talking about during the spawn, so that's a little bit different situation. But he had to remain out on the existing shoreline of where the water should be, you know, targeting those those brush and those bushes in 15 foot of water. So I think what I took away from the interview was if it's not working, uh, where you're starting at, if, if that's where you're going to first as your confidence factor and you're not getting the desired response, change it up. You know, don't hesitate to uh, make a move, change your baits. Um, you know, if you find them halfway back in the creek, they're not going to go too far. They're going one direction or the other. You just got to find them. Well, that's true. You know, that's just always been my main strategy fishing is if you're not catching them, do something different. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's good advice. And that's, listen, that's, you know, we laugh at that, but I mean, that can be harder, you know, than it sounds. I mean, you've, you've caught fish in, in a lake on a certain bait in some certain areas and it's hard to get off. And I think it's it's sort of a uh, a milestone in your in your fishing career when you can just very quickly adjust and try new things that you maybe necessarily don't have any experience with. If you think about it from that standpoint, Steve, that you don't have any experience, the only way that you're going to get experience with that to where you have that past and those resources to rely on down the road is to get out and experiment and try that. And then 
when you have that success, that is such a confidence booster, and it's amazing. It's just kind of like the story that I shared with you earlier, you know, about uh, going up the red chute and on, on those bridge pilings. Those are things that you don't forget, and I, I think there's some lessons to be learned uh, just by getting out there and, and giving it your all. And, you know, at the end of the day, you compare results, take with it what you learn, and uh, the rest you kind of throw away for another day. But, uh, hey, speaking of which, tell me, do you remember who won that classic, Steve, that you were at back in the press room? Yeah, I do. That was, that was Kevin Van Dam. Of course, that's always kind of a good guess. But, uh, no, that was uh, Kevin and Aaron Martin battled it out. And it's funny that we talked about that today, but uh, they won them on bridge pilings and on the brush in front of bridge pilings. There in Pittsburgh, in urban Pittsburgh, there's no shortage of bridge pilings. So uh, that really proved to be the place to find fish on a river that was pretty daggum tough to fish. Well, that is kind of ironic that that was our uh, topic for today. But you know what? Things have a, have a way of working out. So it was uh, very pertinent information great always good to hear from andre and uh i used to always think man i bet those two kick butt in the local husband wife tournament <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't want to be in the guys and gals against those two you know you've got uh two uh champions as well as you know of course he's a bait designer and owns uh, reaction innovations and uh you know there's there's certainly uh some uh, leverage there <laughs> i would think that would yeah, go yeah you into think play. there's any taxidermy on their wall <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit a few pictures too i'm sure Aaron, we got a great reader question this week, and it's from Jeff. Jeff wants to know, is it better to rely on the drag of your reel when fishing finesse styles, such as drop shot, or to flip back the reel switch and back reel the fish when he pulls? And for those that say back reel, how do you determine when and how much reeling to do? And Jeff is kind enough to thank us for the podcast and tells us to keep up another hundred. Well, Jeff, uh, thanks for those kind words, and thanks for taking time to send out the question. Uh, We threw this out to Mark Tucker, and Mark's answer is no, you don't have to rely on the drag. I like to keep the drag tight so that I get a good hook set and can control the fish at all times. When I know that it is a good fish, I flip the switch to back reel. Once I have control of the fish and have it away from any cover, I will back reel only when the fish is bulldogging. Once the fish is wearing down, I will flip the switch back. Lipping it can be the tricky part, because as the fish gets close to the boat, it might spook and make another run. I like to be ready to flip the switch back so that I can back reel again. I have caught lots of big fish on spinning gear and light line using this method. I hope this will help you land more fish. Sincerely, Mark Tucker. Well, Mark's just like most of the guys on the tour. They back reel on those spinning reels. I really personally hadn't started doing that, but that does seem to be the way the top pros want to do it. Well, and, you know, it, I, I think it's it's just one of those techniques that you've got to spend some time practicing. You know, I, I wouldn't recommend, uh, Jeff, you know, going out if you're a tournament angler and trying to employ that, uh, you know, in a tournament situation until you've had some time to kind of get used to that, uh, know when to back reel, when not to. But the other thing I think that, that back reeling does, like Mark points out, is that any time that your drag is being pulled and, and, you know, releases and where the fish takes off and starts pulling drag, if you think about it, that is putting a line twist in your line every time that that spool makes one rotation. And I just uh, firmly believe that, you know, you get some of these these smallmouth and, you know, spotted bass and some of these bigger largemouth that will really, you know, take you to school. I don't like relying solely 
on the drag system. And, and once you get that down, I think it's going to ultimately increase your results. Well, there you go, Jeff. Uh, you'll have to keep us posted. Tell us about that next big fish you catch on your finesse gear. Great to hear from you, Jeff, and always good to hear from Mr. Tucker. Y'all keep the letters coming in. We've got a lot of prizes to give away, and it's just always great to hear from our listeners. But, Aaron, we need to slip away right now and come back, and I'm anxious to hear what John McCurdy says about flipping and pitching in this high water. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Terry Backsay. Hi, I'm Jamie Cyphers. I'm Diddy Brower. This is Michael Murphy. Hi, this is Pam Bolton, and you're listening to The Edge. For most of us, a day on the water consists of numerous bait choices when targeting the elusive green fish. And although each of us have our favorites, it's probably hard to imagine that one of those choices doesn't include a bait to flip or pitch. With us today is regional angler John McCurdy, whom spends the majority of his days with several rods prepared to do exactly that. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Aaron. It's great to great to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. And, you know, I, I guess the, the starting point where we need to look at is kind of what would you describe or define, you know, flipping and, and pitching as? Well, as far as flipping, I would... Uh... I would say that it's definitely a fixed line presentation, close quarters, heavy line, big rods, you know, uh, kind of hand-to-hand combat with those fish and heavy cover. Um, As far as pitching goes, you're kind of sitting back away from your targets a little bit, uh, making short, underhanded pitches to your targets, maybe a little bit clearer water, uh, not as quite uh, heavy of cover. You know, and what is it, do you think, that why these techniques are, are so effective? You can get many presentations the most accurate presentation, in my opinion, would be the flip. Um, you can really pinpoint that that bait where those fish are at and located in that in that cover. So a lot of times, I mean, really, what we're talking about is is a fish that is staging and really related or focused, maybe nosed into a piece of structure or relating to a rock or a dock or something like that. And and it's almost to where we have them dialed in. It's just a matter of getting the bait in the strike zone. Absolutely, a lot of those times, those fish are not real aggressive they just are kind of nosed up to that piece of cover and and they'll bite that on an instinct Uh, they basically either have to get it out of the way or bite it and it's going to hit them in the head that's kind of the approach i give it you know in our last interview we just heard from andre moore and he brought up you know this the violent weather conditions and and kind of his take on uh, what's going on with the weather systems and you know obviously we we don't have always have ideal conditions of when we're we're hitting the water how does the flipping and pitching technique fare out when we have uh, rising water or falling water, and does it differ? Maybe you could compare and contrast the two. Absolutely. Um, I find when the water's rising, and it, it's really it's really amazing, those bass will get as shallow as they possibly can if they've got some cover to go to in, in some dingy water. Uh, a lot of times when the, the water's rising, I uh, I try to find those banks that I can actually get to the bank instead of, staying out there trying to flip over three or four rows of bushes or a lot of cover that's uh, between you and the bank, those fish will get really shallow. They'll get as shallow as they possibly can in a piece of cover that uh, the water's a little dingy. So what I'll usually do is maybe find those 
banks that have like a 45 degree drop on them or um, something that's got maybe a ledge or a bluff in, uh, steeper pockets that maybe I can get to the back of and those fish will let me nose right up to those bushes or lay down to the backs of those things. Well, that sounds to me like a, a pretty good tip on things that we've talked about here before on the edge as far as a steeper bank because then they don't have acres and acres, you know, of where they're going to spread out on this newly flooded flat, uh, whereas they can just, you know, move vertically up and down in the water column as that water rises or falls. That's exactly right. And the problem you have with fishing those really flat banks with a lot of cover is there's no rhyme or reason where those fish could be, and you'll waste a lot of time trying to catch those fish. If you can pinpoint, you know, three or four bushes or laydowns on a bank instead of a hundred, you know, most of the time you're going to catch a lot more fish if you can you can find those places you can get to the bank. You know, so we we have the kind of the the bank description or topography of of the water that we're fishing narrowed down. What about does uh, structure come into play? You know, if it's if it has wood or docks or ledges or you know rock, um, are there certain things that you want to look for? Uh, you, you know, to target and present the bait to. Yes, there is. It all depends on the water and the time of year, uh, water clarity. Uh, say you're in a river system. Um, a lot of times I'll look for real flat points that I can get to that have, you know, maybe uh, one or two laydowns on it once that water starts warming up and they, and they get starting to spawn. Or even coming off the spawn, you know, you'll have those, those laydowns around those bushes um, a lot of times they'll be on that hardwood instead of in the bush. Um, you just have to, it, it changes day to day, and you just have to be kind of open-minded and, and try different things because uh, one day you'll catch them out of the bushes, and the next day you'll catch them out of the laydowns right next to the bush. It's just a, it's a trial and error thing. Well, and I think that goes back to what you said earlier, you know, by, by kind of targeting some of those steeper banks on, on when the water's coming up, it really cuts down on a lot of your time. You know, you can go through and, and pick out the bushes, pick out the laydowns, hit the docks, and, and chances are, you know, those fish are not going to swim a half a mile to, to leave or evacuate the area that you were catching them at the day before. That's exactly right. Those fish, especially when they drop, start pulling the water out of those bushes, a lot of times they will just go maybe to the first available drop, which may just be four or five foot from that area, or they would pull to a secondary point. You know, a lot of times they'll sit out in front of those bushes where you would maybe sit back and pitch to them and uh, maybe swim your bait out, like swimming a jig or a tube, something like that, that they would uh, relate to the base of them on the outside edge instead of way up there shallow. Well, that's good stuff. And in, in our last closing minute, John, can you identify really, you know, let's say your top few baits uh, that you're going to, you know, utilize or employ in the flipping and the, and the pitching for the techniques that, that we've spoken of here? Sure. Um, probably my, my most favorite bait would be a, uh, a jig, obviously, and in dirtier water. I will mostly use a 3-8 to a half-ounce jig in real heavy cover. It just allows the, the bait to pull itself through that heavy cover. When the water starts to warm up, I'll use a uh, maybe a sweet beaver or a tube, something that will move a lot of water, has a good profile that you can put in those places. And of course, are you uh, you know with are, are you using rattles on any of those, like on your jig or anything? You know, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. A lot of people will use them, and I try to do something a little bit different, and maybe just have that natural presentation where it's not so noisy, doesn't alarm them. I'll just maybe what I call soak that bait in that piece of cover for 
a little bit longer. If I think, um, you know, there's something there, I, I may shake it around a little bit more instead of putting a rattle in there. More or less let the fish come to the bait. That's right. Well, all good stuff, John. Unfortunately, we uh, we have to evacuate the area ourselves. But, um, you know, just want to tell you thanks for, for being uh, with us here on the edge and wish you uh, the best of luck in the upcoming uh, season and look forward to talking with you again soon. Hey, thanks a lot, Aaron. It's always a pleasure. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. We have reached our time limit for today, but be sure to look for us on Bass Edge TV, seen three times each week on the Outdoor Channel. We can also be found on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Don't forget to log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from the top pros and a chance to win great prizes. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Air Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.